0: Welcome. This is Sheila Murthy. Today's topic is Extraordinary Ability, Outstanding Professor Researcher, and National Interest Waiver for Green Card. Today's podcast recording gives a brief and general description of the procedures for obtaining classification in either the EB1 or the EB2, but we are focusing specifically on the Employment-Based First Preference category, which either in the Extraordinary Ability, EA, or the Outstanding Professor Researcher, OPR. We're also going to discuss the EB-2 second preference for the National Interest Waiver cases. All of these three types of immigrant petitions are good alternatives to the employment-based options when the regular PERM labor certification to obtain the green card is either not possible or not desirable. In addition... Both the EA and the NIW do not require specific employment or a specific job offer, and this therefore will provide greater flexibility to the applicant not to be tied down to a particular job or place of employment. However, due to the extremely stringent criteria, especially for the EB1 extraordinary ability and to a lesser extent, the outstanding professor researcher petitions, All candidates are encouraged to seek professional advice of a knowledgeable attorney who can review your specific credentials and accomplishments prior to making a decision on the appropriate category to process the green card. So let's get started with the EB1 Extraordinary Ability category. The existing criteria for EB1 is a person who is considered extraordinary in the sciences arts education business or athletics this can be demonstrated by national or international acclaim second the person should be recognized through extensive documentation and third the candidate should continue the work in the same field to bris And fourth, the proposed employment would substantially benefit the U.S. prospectively. Remember, always, the green card tends to be for a future job offer, so it is the future or prospective benefit to the U.S. The extraordinary ability category does not require a specific job offer or a specific employer. And certainly, in that case, we don't need to file a labor certification with the Department of Labor. The applicant or candidate can file the petition on his or her own. However, the applicant has to show that she or he will plan to continue work in the same general field after approval of the I-140 petition, which should be described in a personal statement of future plans. This EA category, generally the statute and the regulations talk about a one-time really prestigious award like a Nobel Prize, which we understand doesn't apply to every person. So if you don't have the one-time achievement like the Nobel Prize or an equally prestigious national or international award, then the person needs to document a minimum of three out of the list of ten criteria. This list includes but is not limited to documentation of receipt of lesser national or international prize or an award, evidence of judging experience, publications, original contributions to the field, materials written about you and published in various magazines or newspapers, etc. Again, remember that merely submitting or fulfilling three out of the ten criteria is not sufficient automatically to result in the approval of the Extraordinary Ability Petition. It simply establishes the initial evidence but such threshold evidence may, in fact, fall short of proving extraordinary ability. And the USCIS has the right to request additional evidence. This constitutes what is now called a two-step adjudication process, as outlined by the USCIS in its 2010 memo, based on a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision in Kazarian v. USCIS in this case the usci has stated that the adjudicator would consider the initial evidence as a first step in the adjudication process to determine if the applicant meets the minimum requirements ie that they satisfy a minimum of 3 out of the 10 criteria it is in the second step that the adjudicator would consider all of the evidence in the cumulative to determine if it places the applicant at the top of his or her fields of endeavor. Okay, so we have the two-step process. First, you check the three-step criteria, and next, you really analyze and see if the evidence would put the person at the top of the fields. So now let's move on to the next criteria uh, for the outstanding professor-researcher, which, again, is an EB-1 application or petition. It's similar to the EA, but it is a slightly different in the sense that two differences. One is the criteria is a little bit lesser, and second, there must be an employer who is willing to offer a permanent employment or permanent job to the candidate or applicant as a professor or full-time researcher. And the definition of permanent, mostly in universities and such organizations, is that it has to be a tenured or a tenure track position or for a term of indefinite or unlimited duration in which the beneficiary or the candidate or the applicant will ordinarily have an expectation of continued employment unless there is good cause for termination. In, with the OPR category, which is the outstanding professor researcher, the candidate has to also show that she or he has at least three years of experience in teaching and or research in the field and experience in teaching or research which is gained while working on the advanced degree generally will not satisfy the requirement of the three years of experience, but it will only be satisfied if the beneficiary acquires the degree and if the teaching or research duties were such that the candidate had full responsibility For the class taught, not as a teaching assistant or a research assistant, but as the actual full responsibility, or if the research has been recognized within the field as outstanding. So again, as I said, the criteria is a little different. The candidate must meet at least two out of the list of six criteria, somewhat similar but slightly lower than for showing extraordinary ability which is, again, publications and books and, you know, criteria and salary and, you know, what are you, you know, exactly how you're contributing to the field. And in addition to showing that the applicant or beneficiary or candidate is an outstanding professor or researcher, the employer must also demonstrate for researchers that it employs at least three full-time research employees and that the employer has achieved documented accomplishments in an academic field. So a very small company with very few researchers, or just one full-time or two full-time researchers, or three or four part-time researchers will not qualify. Again, as we said, for OPR, similar to the EA, the submission of evidence, submitting simply to satisfy two out of the six criteria, will not be dispositive. The USCIS, again, will follow the two-step analysis under the Kazarian case, which requires that all of the evidence be considered during a final merits determination to really determine if the beneficiary has been recognized internationally as outstanding. Okay, so now we're done with the EB1, the two categories, the extraordinary ability and the outstanding professor researcher. We're now going to move to national interest waiver. The national interest waiver is an EB2 or employment-based second preference category. It normally, Normally, most candidates in EB-2 do require an employer and a labor certification, but the only exception is EB-2 NIW cases where the Attorney General may waive the requirement for a job offer if the work by the candidate or applicant is in the national interest of the United States. The AAO, which is the Administrative Appeals Office, and by the way, the old name was AAU, or the unit, through case law, has previously suggested seven factors that could be considered in determining whether the candidate's contributions in a particular field are in the national interest of the United States. And this is from a well-known, famous case known as the New York State Department of Transportation case, um, which, which outlined these factors. So these are, one, does the work of this person truly improve the U.S. economy? Second, does the work improve wages and working conditions for U.S. workers? Third, does the work improve education and programs for U.S. children and under-qualified workers? Fourth, does the work improve our health care? Five, does the work provide more affordable housing? Six, does the work improve the U.S. environment and make more productive use of the, our natural resources? And seven, is the work completed due to an interested government agency request? So is it based on an interested federal governmental agency's request? And again, remember, we don't have to satisfy all of these seven criteria. It could be one or two or three of them. Um, And obviously, the more criteria that we're able to show, the stronger it makes the national interest waiver case. And this case, as we said, has been around for a while. It was an August 1998 decision. um, and uh, it was it is the controlling at that point for years the controlling precedent for making decisions on NIW's national interest waiver cases um, so after that there's been a lot more analysis and deb- debate and the USCIS has actually has established three major criteria that they look at one that we need to show that the evidence that the benefits that the proposed employment will be national in scope second evidence of the employment being in an area of substantial intrinsic merit and important to the national interests of the U.S. And we just outlined those seven criteria, what could be considered as national interests of the U.S. And third, evidence demonstrating that the significant benefit derived from the candidate or applicant's participation in the national interest field of endeavor considerably outweighs the inherent national interest of the U.S. Department of Labor and the U.S. government in protecting U.S. workers through the entire labor certification and green card process. I think a lot of people really struggle with the third prong because they're like, well, how can I show that? And yes, it is doable because if somebody truly is benefiting the national interest, is doing all this cool stuff, is considered an exceptional ability person, and we can demonstrate that, which we do all the time at the Murthy Law Firm, I think it will truly... Help you to avoid being tied down to a specific job or a specific employer. In reviewing the above criteria, it appears that the USCIS is advocating the use of national labor national. Using the standard labor certification process as the primary route for employment-based green cards, and the NIW should be utilized for those cases where the work truly benefits the U.S. as a whole, and most important, that the applicant is playing a significant role in the field, not just to a particular employer or a single project, or even to a small group of private employers. So in summary, the entire process of making a decision on an EA, OPR, and NIW case is ultimately subjective and discretionary. It depends to a large extent on the discretion of the individual examiner and the strength of showing the documents and proof that we can submit. Therefore, a thorough, good preparation and discussion and great teamwork between you and your lawyer like the, we at the Murthy Law Firm who have extensive experience, will really make a difference and help with the success of such a petition. Thank you.